Welcome everyone to Finance Podcast Week and this special live episode of the Remote Real Estate Investor Podcast with Michael, Tom, and Emil. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Finance Podcast Week is a week of live stream sessions like this one with top finance podcasters and experts from around the world. We also have exclusive pre-released episodes on the Finance Podcast Week channel for free. And you can replay any of the panels and sessions on the Finance Podcast Week channel as well. Download the Podbean app and follow the Finance Podcast Week channel to receive notifications in real time about all of the live streams and specially released episodes of the week. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetization platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. As you're joining us for this session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. For everyone listening, you can also start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcasts constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. And now we'll hand it off to our host of the live stream and the remote real estate investor podcast, Michael, Tom, and Emil. Welcome. Thank you. Great Thank to you be here. Us. Thanks so much. We're the, we're the last show today, guys, so we got to get everyone hyped up. I'm sure people are kind of, you know, like ready to end their day, ready to the, enter the weekend. So we gotta it's 5 o'clock on Friday. Let's bring, bring the energy. That's right. <laughs> All right, so thanks, everyone, for joining us today. My name is Emil Shore, and my co-hosts here, uh, as mentioned, are Michael Albaum and Tom Schneider. Say hi, guys. Hey, everybody. Hello. So we're going to get into some quick intros on us in a second, but before we do that, wanted to give you all some background on the show for those who are new listeners. So our podcast is called The Remote Real Estate Investor, and as you can imagine, there are tons of real estate investing podcasts out there. Why did we decide to create a new one? So there's this growing segment of investors who are bucking the trend of only investing in their backyard and finding ways to invest outside of their local market either from hundreds of miles away, so think living in Los Angeles, investing in Fresno, or investing across the country, so investing in the Midwest or the Southeast, or even in Michael's case, which he'll get into, across the world. So they're doing this because it's either too expensive to invest close to home, so think LA, New York, San Francisco, Seattle, any high cost of living area, or they're looking to diversify their portfolio across markets. And for anyone who's invested remotely, you know it's a completely different ballgame with its own set of unique challenges than if you're just investing locally. So we wanted to create this podcast and raise awareness and give our personal experience as remote investors. And we all invest out of state in different sizes of residential real estate. And we want to start this podcast again just to, to educate people on, on what that experience is like and for people who are interested in potentially doing the same. Uh, besides us hosting a podcast where the three of us will, will talk about our experiences, we also invite authors and industry experts to pick their brain as well on the show. So with all that out of the way, we'll, we'll kick off some intros. My name, again, is Emil Shore. I'm a self-employed marketing consultant living in the greater LA area. I, I started investing back in 2017. I picked up my first single-family rental property in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I was hooked after I got my first quote-unquote mailbox money 
and have been growing ever since. I've, I've bought in Indianapolis, Memphis, St. Louis, uh, and I'm up to six rental units of both single family rentals and small multifamily. Tom, you want to go next? Yeah. So my name is Tom Schneider. I am the director of uh, education here at Roofstock. I've uh, like people who have worked at startups before. I've worn a lot of different hats. I um, previously worked as uh, lead product at one of the very first publicly traded uh, single family rental REITs. Um, at Roofstock, I initially was on the product side, building out tools to manage transactions and uh, appraisals, all that kind of stuff. Um, then I led the operations team uh, for a while. Uh, and the last year or so, uh, I found this really interesting um, kind of gap within, uh, within the company and that there's a lot of people who want to invest in real estate who just maybe don't quite feel comfortable, uh, especially doing it remotely. Or you have people who you know make the plunge and, and buy remotely and then they're like, okay, what's next? So uh, I, I, I left my operations post and, and started this basically little company within the company uh, called Roofstock Academy. And I've been doing it for about a year or so uh, with uh, Michael leading the, the coaching helm and uh, Emil and Pierre as well. So really, really fun uh, career journey and where we're at right now is, is super fun. Uh, I am a uh, also an active real estate investor. I invest primarily in the Southeast as well as the, the Midwest. Uh, I am a California real estate broker as well. Uh, and I am in, I've got roughly 10 or so uh, investment properties, all uh, single family rentals. Uh, Michael, with that, I'll turn it over to you. Awesome. Thanks so much. So as I mentioned, my name is Michael Albaum. Um, I'm the head coach with the Roofstock Academy, working with Tom. And so I started investing about 10 years ago. I used to work as a professional fire protection engineer in the commercial property insurance industry. And right about that time, realized that that corporate job, the world wasn't going to get me where I wanted to go. So I started investing in real estate and doing all this kind of self-education started with remote real estate in Southern California with a market I knew, but it was about six hours drive away from where I lived. So some could call that local, but I called it remote. And then I was traveling a lot for work throughout the Northwest US. And wherever I was traveling, I was constantly looking at the rental real estate market because that's what real estate nerds do. And I found myself in a lot of really strong rental markets where the purchase prices were reasonable compared to what you could rent the properties for. So I was picking up properties all over the place uh, and kind of left, I felt like a bit of a slug leaving this trail of purchased properties in my wake. And it was a couple of years ago that I got some advice that I was so spread out around the country with investments. It was pretty overwhelming. So a good friend of mine says, go get diver go get laser focus on a particular market and go hammer it. Watch what happens, it'll blow your mind. And I said, okay, that's kind of counterintuitive to everything I thought I knew about investing and diversification, but that's what I've been doing the last couple of years in the Midwest with medium-sized multifamily value-add properties. And so for anyone that might not be familiar with what that is, it's basically buying the junkiest, dirtiest, most beat-up properties I can find for really cheap, putting a bunch of money into them, getting them repositioned and either selling them uh, sitting on the cash flow that they then produce or refinancing them and getting some of the equity back out as cash in my pocket. So we'll probably be talking about some of that during the episode today. Um, but so yeah, right now I'm in the process of selling a couple units, but as it stands today, I think about 75 doors currently. Nice. So we, we started with, uh, we, gra we gradually went higher in terms of experience there. So that, that worked <laughs> out well with the intros. All right, so on our show, we like to do these things we call showdowns, where we take a hotly debated topic and we argue both sides of the aisle. 
So things like single family versus multifamily, using a property manager or managing by yourself, using uh, or investing in your backyard versus investing remotely, things like that. So one host will take one side, the other host will, will take the other side, and one of us will play moderator to make sure too many haymakers aren't thrown throughout the process. <laughs> so in today's showdown, we're going to cover investing in real estate directly. So think about just buying a property, holding title in your name, all that fun stuff, or going down the much more passive route of investing in a real estate investment trust, which most people know as a REIT. So Tom is going to take REITs first and Michael will make the case for investing directly and I will play moder uh, moderator. And so after that, after Tom and Michael each make their case, Tom will get the final word. So we'll let Tom go first, Michael will get his follow-up, and then Tom gets the final word. And then we'll switch sides and Michael will go first, Tom goes second, and Michael will wrap it up. And so guys, just remember, don't throw all your, all your haymakers, all your punches in the first round, because you got to save some pros and cons that we didn't talk about in round one, in round two. I just got to say, I, I feel a little, um, I feel like the underdog here. Tom's you should feel like the underdog, the Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's worked in both the REIT space and the single family space. Uh, me, just the single family space and multifamily space, direct ownership side of things. So it'll be interesting. Tom, I hope you brought uh, a towel to, to wipe, wipe yourself up. Oh, good one. Real <laughs> original, Michael. Real original. Um, all right. All right, Emil, are we, are we on? Yeah, do you, do you guys, you know, most episodes uh, of the show, we talk about our own portfolio, some, some things that are happening, just to give people an inside look. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, real estate shows, we'll just talk about kind of theory and overarching stuff. We kind of like to get into the nitty gritty of what's going on in our portfolio. So you guys want anything interesting that's been happening that you guys want to just touch on briefly? Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll lead the way. So uh, personal updates, uh, you know, 2021, uh, planning to make some moves. So um, as I mentioned, you know, I'm in like the 10 range of, of properties uh, and some of them I've had for a couple of years. And one of the really great things about real estate is as it appreciates over time, or if you're able to buy it at a bit of a discount, you can do this thing, what's called a cash out refinance, which is basically if you buy with a loan or if you buy with cash, you can get a loan later in time and you can get the size of the loan can be larger than what your original loan is. So you get cash out when you do that refinance. It's also, it's a key part of the strategy. Some of you guys may have heard of the BRRR method. <laughs> I think uh, BiggerPockets may have, may have coined that, uh, where that's your, your buy, renovate, rent, or rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. Um, anyways, so within my portfolio this year, I am in the process of refinancing three properties, which I plan to turn in to four more properties. We'll see. I, I'm setting that as a goal for myself and growing my portfolio, uh, probably continuing more along the Southeast. I'm also redoing my insurance. If you've listened to other episodes, I've been kind of lazy on about redoing my insurance, but I am hot on the trail of completing that reinsurance process. Um, my original insurance, you know, terms just with regards to, um, you know, coverage and stuff is, is, is not super great right now. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna redoing that, but I'm pretty busy. So I've submitted all my paperwork for doing the refi, uh, as well as have identified a couple of markets that I think I'm gonna reposition into some more single family rentals. So that's my, uh, my update is, uh, yeah, wheels are on the tracks, tracks are on the, 
what's that? The train tracks moving forward. <laughs> Anyways, there we go. Yeah, that's my that's my update. That's yeah. awesome. Nice. We're gonna we're gonna follow up on a future episode, Tom. Make sure you're you're keeping the train on the tracks. Yep. That's right. Yes. All right. All right, Michael. What's been going on with you? So I've got a uh, condo that I own in Southern California for sale, actually under contract. That's supposed to be closing here uh, early April, which I'm really excited about. The market's just red hot down there. So I said, oh, let's put it out there, see what happens. And we got multiple offers over asking. So that was really exciting. I've got a six unit in the Midwest that I've got under contract as well. That's due to close mid-April. We're in the process of doing some of the buyer asked for repairs. Uh, That'll be happening today and then next week. So that way we should be good to close mid-April. And then I'm also in the process of flipping a property out in Portugal. I know you were mentioning some international investing. So I own two properties out in Portugal. One is to obtain a visa and the other was a flip. So Portugal is still locked down from the COVID uh, COVID-19, so they haven't been able to get that property listed, but hopefully in the next two weeks or so, that'll get listed. I hope to have that wrapped up and sold by June or July, which will be a lot of fun. And then I'm in contract to purchase a flip uh, through my Roth IRA. I'm going to try my hand at that and think because of the tax-free benefits for flipping inside an IRA uh, are pretty beneficial. So we'll see how that goes. I'm getting the inspection done on Monday on that property, so I'll keep everybody posted on how that shakes out. By the way, love these questions that are coming in. We are definitely looking at this. Someone had uh, just asked, you know, someone ended up using their first home as an investment property. How do you calculate cash flow considering all the mortgage I've been paying along with repairs and upgrades? Uh, You know, one of the things about real estate investing is there are a lot of different metrics that you can follow. And I think for this particular example and talking about your, your first home and calculating the investment, I think thinking about opportunity costs would be important. So, you know, of the money that you could take out if you were to sell it, like that should, you should think of that kind of as the basis, as the money that you're returning on it. So um, a, a metric that I like a lot, and I know Michael likes a lot as well, I think Emil, I think everybody likes it a lot, is this metric called, <laughs> is, it's called a cash on cash return. And what that is, is that's looking at the money that you put into the house, um, using that as the denominator and the numerator, the, the top of this division formula, would be your net operating income. I don't want to get too far into the weeds because we got an episode going right here. Um, uh, but that's a really great way to think about it is what is your net operating income? So your, your total money you're collecting minus any expenses, minus your mortgage payments for the year, and dividing that by the, the, uh, what, you've, what you've paid for the property. So I um, don't want to get too much down into the weeds into this, but it's, it's, it's a really good question. I think that's a way a lot of people get started is turning their first home they purchased uh, into a, a rental property. So Nice. And uh, I don't want to plug our show all the time, but there's a, an episode we did exactly on this. It was called Ignore the Noise. Here's how to actually calculate projected cash flow. We walk through every single expense or line item that you should include as you're estimating cash flow. That's number 72. So if you're interested, uh, we have an episode just on that. And then I would just want to take one more question here as well. Someone's asking, how do you get into real estate if you have no experience? Which is a great question. I think it's something that a lot of people run into. Without being too um, promoted here, I'd say come check out Roofstock Academy. It's a really great place and we designed it for investors who are just starting out all the way up to those investors that are looking to scale their portfolio or get involved in new asset classes. Uh, We've got a YouTube channel as well, which has totally free information. Bigger Pockets is another great place to check out, totally free. Uh, If you need some additional help, I think Roofstock Academy 
Academy is an awesome, awesome place to come get one-on-one coaching and over 50 hours of lectures. And I'm not even going to get into that right now. Just check out check out the website. I know. I, I, dude, the questions are too much fun coming in. All right, I'm going to just hit it real quick. So uh, someone asked about investing from your Roth. So you can do what's called a self-directed IRA. And there's several of these companies that can help facilitate them. So you can invest out of your retirement fund be it your Roth or your 401k, uh, but it's it's a self-directed IRA. And you know there's a lot of different companies that facilitate that. I think we have a podcast episode that is specific to that, but if, if you search for that, like that's, it's, it's really awesome because a lot of people have a lot of money in their retirement account. And it's, it's not like your retirement account is completely limited to only investing in like equities and bonds. You can do alternative stuff, but it needs to be done through one of these qualified intermediary. Okay. All right. I'm, <laughs> I'll take a pause on answering questions and we can get back to, uh, I want to answer one too. There's a good okay. One jump in, in, jump in. No, no rules, no rules. Uh, I know these are, these are great. I want to make sure I know. we get to them. So, uh, yeah. all right, last one. What's the biggest mistake people make with an out of market versus in market rental? I thought this was a great question, so I want to tackle it. Yeah. This is this is just my opinion. I think the easiest trap to fall into is when you go to another market, you fall into the uh, quote unquote like spreadsheet trap, where you'll find areas within a market that they, the numbers look amazing, but because you maybe don't live there and you don't know what it actually looks like, it, you know, maybe a rougher neighborhood, the tenant quality may be lower, things like that. So you're, you're, you're going in neighborhoods where the yield could be better, but you're potentially getting a lot more headaches with it that you don't, that you don't know about without that local knowledge, which is why we always like to recommend build a team locally, talk to property managers, agents, other investors in those areas to learn that market since you're not living there, you're not like driving by all these areas all the time. So that's that's my one tidbit where I think a lot of people go astray. I think, you know, all these questions are great. Please keep them coming. We will circle back and try to get to as many of them as we can throughout the episode as we take uh, natural pauses or if we have time at the end, we'll definitely yes. circle back. So keep them coming. These are all great. All right, so uh, it's showdown time, guys. Tom, you're gonna kick off REITs. Michael, yep. you're going to get into direct investing. Yep. Guys, I want a nice, clean fight. Nothing below the belt. Keep it clean. Go to your... He's, looking, he's, he's talking to you, Tom. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Good good one, Michael. All right. All right. Let's, let's get this going. Okay. So let's do this. I'm going to be advocating for owning indirectly. So this is where you are not taking direct title or you're not setting up an LLC that you own the LLC and buying. This is like investing in a REIT. And there's a couple of different flavors of this. So... So one common way is they call it syndications where you're like investing in a fund. What we're talking about here in this argument is specifically investing in a REIT, which is you know a, a publicly traded uh, company that owns a whole bunch of properties. I'm gonna tell you why this is the route to go, owning indirectly. So one, you get automatic diversification. When you're buying in a REIT, you're not just buying in one property, you got uh, ownership all across the Southeast and the Midwest, Florida, Atlanta, Texas, you know, a lot of these REITs have a, a similar composition of geographies that professional, like Wall Street investors have selected these uh, companies that these do these acquisitions. They have uh, great resources and they're curating this wonderful portfolio to you for you to buy in to automatically get diversification from across these markets. The other pro of going this route of owning indirectly is the time requirements. If I'm buying a REIT, Holy smokes, I, I just have to like click a button, I can buy it. If you're buying real estate uh, directly or through an LLC, uh, heaven to Betsy, that's a, that's a good little time chunk to do that. You know, there's a lot of tailwinds on why people like to do that, but just thinking of it as strictly as a, a time consideration, you're 
spending quite a bit of time versus just clicking a button and you automatically own that. Um, let's see, the last point that I'll make before I let Michael crawl into the ring is <laughs> the liquidity aspect, right? So one of the biggest challenges with owning real estate is you park your money in, it takes a little bit of effort to get it out. And there's also uh, a, a lot of question marks on like what that, you know, what you're going to be able to get out of it. I mean, I think we've gotten, there's a lot of great technology that can help people estimate on what their property is worth, you know, Zillow and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, like the market speaks what the market speaks. And when you exit there, it's going to take a little bit of time. Usually if someone's buying cash, we're talking like 14 days or 30 days financing, but it's going to take time. And there's going to be a lot of unclarity of what that exit price is. So, uh, Michael, I'm going to let you come on in and uh, do your thing. But that is my side of the showdown for investing indirectly in real estate, remote real estate. Tom, I really appreciate you giving me these gifts, but you know that it's not my birthday. I mean, this was really kind. This is really thoughtful. Um, oh, good. Good ones. This good, is great. Good. I love T-ball, so this is great. I, I so appreciate these points. So I'm just going to respond to each one individually, and then I'll go on, on my own rant. But so first off, talking about diversification, you have these Wall Street hedge fund REIT managers. Are they really taking your best interests at heart when they're choosing these properties? Or are they looking to line their own pockets and we get the scraps as the investors? I'm not so sure that I'm not the best person to pick out, hand pick and hand curate these properties for myself based on my own personal risk tolerances and investment goals. So that's first and foremost. I would argue that I'm a better person to do that than, uh, than some Wall Street hedge fund manager. The minimal time requirement yeah, I think that you're right. It is much easier to click a button, but I'm not sure how responsible that is uh, in the long run. And if somebody is learning, wanting to learn how to invest in real estate, if they're looking at involve real estate as part of their portfolio, maybe they should learn the business inside and out so that way they can learn to feed themselves. Buying a REIT is like getting a fish, but investing directly is like learning how to fish. So I'm trying to eat for a lifetime, man. I don't want just a, a one a one sushi dinner. And then lastly, you mentioned the liquidity aspect of it. If we look at what's happening in the market today, I would argue that single family homes are becoming a much more liquid asset that are being bought, sold, valued, and traded almost like a commodity. So the fact that you see REITs buying these up by droves almost is an indication that, hey, this is now a commoditized asset class which is pretty amazing. So I put my property on the market, had two offers same day, and now I'm selling it inside of 30 days. If that's not liquid, I'm not sure what is. But let me just kind of continue here. I want to make some additional points and give you, you a chance to respond. So when I get to control every step of the process via direct ownership, when and how to purchase, when to refi, when to sell, when to do upgrades, that is a massive, massive degree of control versus being in a REIT you just get told what they did. You're getting told what the decisions were being made are and you get what you get versus being able to be in the driver's seat. Also, also, I think that leverage is a massive, massive piece of the pie here. So I can control $100,000 worth of real estate for 20 grand in cash. How much REIT could I get for 20 grand in cash, Tom? Quite, quite a bit, you get quite a bit. Lots, <laughs> got a lot of shares there, got a lot of shares there, Michael. <laughs> 
I would also say that the tax benefits of direct ownership far outperform those of indirect ownership. So like we were saying at the beginning of the episode, this is not tax advice. I'm not a tax expert. Highly recommend speaking with a tax professional before doing any real estate, uh, anything real estate related so that you understand the tax consequences. But I'm curious to know, can you do a 1031 exchange out of a REIT? Because when you go to sell those REIT shares, my guess is you're going to be hit with a pretty hefty tax bill versus me as a direct owner. I can take all of my proceeds and profits and roll those into another deal. And then the last thing that I want to mention, what happens, Tom, when a bunch of teeny boppers short the REIT uh, like they did with Game Stonk, but now it's called REIT Stonk? What are you going to do then? Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Oh, All right. Guys, rem- guys, remember, we have round two. So, so yeah, leave, yeah. Some, leave some punches for round two. All right. I'll throw the... I'll throw the. Are you ready for a rebuttal, Michael? Let's do it. I, I would love to. You know what you're doing when you add that property direct ownership? You're buying yourself another job. And I think we're doing this for to, to, to become passively wealthy. So uh, in buying a REIT, you know, you're getting exposure to the asset class and at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's passive. You know, I think that remote real estate investing directly like can be passive, but it takes a little bit of overhead on the front end, uh, that when you buy it through a REIT, you don't have that overhead. It's, you know, it's how quickly can you like click buy on the, uh, stock exchange. So, uh, that will be my final point is the timing aspect. Back to that. Nicely done. Back to your corners, back to your corners. Well done, well done, a lot of good stuff. Uh, Adrian, cut me, cut me. (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely a lot left round two. So Michael, you are now gonna get the first word. Why don't we we break up round two? Uh, There's a couple of questions that are kind of fun. So- um, Do we have uh, some more? I'm not seeing any more, but- I see a good one. So uh, Michael, I think this is a good one for you. I became an accidental landlord twice would you recommend creating an LLC? All, you, you go ahead and go, you go ahead and lead the way, Michael. And again, you know, this is not, there's people who have had success in both different ways. This is not legal advice. This is just our personal opinions on and on that stuff. So go ahead, Michael, lead the way. Yeah, totally. So it's a really good question. So there are really two camps uh, on the subject, pro LLC and no LLC. The pro LLC camp says it's great to segregate and silo your assets from everything else. The no LLC camp says, oh, just get high liability limit insurance. It'll be just as good. Who's right at the end of the day is only determined after a lawsuit. And by then it's too late. So I'm personally of the pro LLC camp. I like having things in silos and separate buckets so that people can't come after my personal assets and vice versa. So being a California resident, it's very expensive to have an LLC. It's $800 a year, even if the LLC doesn't do anything or own anything. So I would say, look into what's involved with starting an LLC wherever you live, and also what's required in maintaining an LLC. Since there's documents that likely have to be filed on some sort of regular frequency, and there might be some dues or taxes that are that are due, and then ultimately you can decide at the end of the day what makes the most sense. I mean, you can go get an umbrella policy to sit on top of your dwelling liability limits for somewhere in the ballpark of $300 per million. So if you go get an umbrella policy for 600 bucks, that gets you 2 million in coverage. That'll also sit over your homeowners, personal homeowners, and your auto. You know that might be a good solution if it's really expensive to have an LLC where you live. If having an LLC where you live is practically free, you know then it could be a good way to go. Just know that the LLC there's some additional accounting overhead that's involved with owning an LLC, and depending on how you're going to be taxed, it might be it, it'll likely show up on your personal tax return, 
again, depending on the type of the LLC and how you designate the taxation. So it can be a good thing. So definitely look into it. Talk to a local attorney about, again, what's involved with starting it and maintaining it. And then you have to decide what make what might make the most sense for you. Yep. And, you know, other considerations, if you're out in the process of buying or getting a loan, some lenders like will not do conventional lendings to an LLC like they want it in your uh, in the owner's name. So like some of those related processes could be a little bit more uh, challenging with an LLC. Uh, but, you know, again, it, it, there isn't like a major like tax savings and like in having an LLC. In fact, it's actually going to cost you more. It's not like you're getting extra tax benefits. Um, but again, this is not tax advice. Please talk to your tax <laughs> um, in, in having it an LLC. So, uh, you know, I, I personally have, you know, my my name and that's something, you know, once you get over 10, you have to start doing private lending. So you might as well like put it in LLC. So I think in just at, at two, like I'd say it's pretty common for people who have just two properties to not, uh, not have it in an LLC to have it in their name. But again, it's, it's a, it's a liability kind of risk tolerance, uh, kind of question. And also to that point of, uh, lending, <clears throat> even if you already have loans on those properties, right? So even if you're not in the process of buying, but you actually own them, moving them into an LLC can like have some ramifications. So you need to check with your lender before you do. Some lenders will say, oh, if it changes title, so if it goes from your name into the name of the LLC, you basically, the loan comes due and you have to pay the whole thing. So make sure if you have uh, an existing loan in place on that property, you check with your lender before you make that move as well. The, go ahead, Michael. Oh, no, I was going to move questions, but go ahead and wrap it up. Yeah, uh, I was going to move questions, but I'll let you. You you, you breathed in as to take the <laughs> take the motion. You, you hit the buzzer first, so go ahead. You heard me. Yeah. So uh, Norva's asking to hear a little bit more about investing in the Roth. So from, again, we keep, we keep harping on this, but not tax advice, not legal advice. So as I understand it, because a Roth is what's technically called a... Um, a tax-free growth account versus a tax-deferred account, any of the gains that you make inside a Roth, whether that's direct ownership in stock, bonds, real estate, any of the gains that you make or profits that you make are tax-free. So that when you go to access or make withdrawals from that fund or from that account, they are not taxed. Same thing with real estate flipping. So I have been told and cautioned not to do this too often because if the IRS sees you running a business inside of your Roth, I think they are frowning upon that. So plan is to do one to two a year to help boost some of the returns. But basically I get to control the entire process. Well, actually let me take it back. There's a lot of things that I can't do. There's a lot of red tape and uh, specifics with regard to how the deal has to be done and what you can and can't do. So I physically can't do any work on the property. I can't I can't, I don't believe I can personally manage the property, but again, it's a flip. So I'm buying a property all cash, financing the flip all cash, and then going to be selling the property, hopefully for a significant gain, all of which proceeds will should and should be tax free so that I can go do it either again, or then put those funds back into the stock market. So in theory, it's a really, it's a really cool vehicle. I've heard a lot of people have a, a lot of success with it and I'm very excited to, to be on this journey. So again, I'll have to keep everybody posted on how it goes, assuming I end up purchasing the property that I have under contract. Nice, nice. All right, Emil, you ready to start round two? Emil, I think you're muted. Thank you, guys. Yes, uh, good call out. Thank you. Uh, all right, so let's get started with round two. Michael, you're going to start by taking the side of REITs. 
Tom will get to go with uh, direct investing, and then Michael, you get the final rebuttal. You're in trouble, Michael. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing that my birthday is going to come twice in the same episode. I just, I'm really excited. So, hubris. hubris. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to not make the same points that Tom made, uh, because they weren't good points anyhow. So let me, let me start by saying that <laughs> I think that REITs have access to capital and deals that I, as an individual investor, could never imagine or never have access to. And so, simply because of the economies of scale, they're getting more deals for cheaper and can also save on operational costs. So I, as an individual investor, am likely never going to be even seeing the types of deals that they're doing and I'm likely not going to be able to generate those kinds of returns for clicking a button, for just putting my money into their deal and sitting back and enjoying the, the benefits. So in a REIT, I can also get extremely predictable returns. If you're owning a single home and the HVAC goes out, which I promise you, if you're in this business long enough, it will, and you have to replace it, that could be three to four to five years worth of cash flow on that particular house. So I personally, I really like the regular distributions. I'll take my monthly, quarter, quarterly, or annual distribution check, whatever the frequency is, and not lift a finger. I don't want to have to worry about replacing roof shingles or replacing the entire roof or the HVAC. And then the other piece of this is I like the diversification that I can get with a REIT. If I own one house and it becomes vacant, I'm 100% vacant. But if I own a REIT that owns multiple properties, if one goes vacant, I'm never even going to know about it. So the diversification I get, I'm really able to spread the risk across multiple properties and not have to think about, oh man, is my tenant not able to pay rent this month? What does that mean for me as the owner? And then lastly, as an international investor, uh, REITs provide a much easier path to getting exposure into the real estate, into the U.S. real estate markets. I don't have to go through the process of getting a green card or getting approved for a loan or getting a bank account as a foreigner. I can just simply buy the REIT uh, and get the exposure to the markets without having to jump through all the hurdles. And being an international investor, I, I understand all the hurdles that one normally has to go through just to get a bank, a bank loan. Tom, I know I see you're kind of bloodied over there already. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you kind of come in and, and, sh and share your piece. Okay, so this is what I'm gonna talk about. Why owning direct is, you know, I, I agree with my first points I made was very relevant. You know, it is a little bit of a time overhead into it. But once you do that initial overhead of time, there is no greater wealth creator uh, than real estate. And I'm gonna talk about a couple of those reasons and why it's so specific to direct ownership. So uh, Michael kind of sloppily tranched, you know, like a, like a, like a pig walking through some beautiful flower bed. He didn't really highlight the, the number. So the tax advantages. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you guys all know, I got an acronym for you to stay with you. It's the three D's of real estate direct ownership. There is deductions. So, right. All these costs that you, you have. So you're paying your property manager, you're fixing the HVAC. Guess what? That's all a deduction. You can have a paper loss with real estate, even though you're like making money. So the first D, deduction. The second one, deferral, right? So in owning the property every year, you can, def you, you, oh, excuse me, uh, depreciation. I jumped ahead. Depreciation. Every year that they own the property, you can uh, write, you know, write off this depreciation of the property over, you know, a certain number of years. So you're just taking more paper loss. And third is this deferral. So I can sell my property, move those proceeds to buy another property and not pay a red cent of taxes on moving that. And it's crazy. It's like 
my wife, so my wife's a tax attorney and uh, she, it like blows her mind whenever she like looks over the advantages of real estate. So the three D's is something that you can do with direct ownership that you're not going to be able to do with a REIT. Incredible. Uh, the other piece, so having worked at a publicly traded REIT, I remember following the stock price and thinking to myself, like, this is nuts. Like we are performing incredibly. Like our vacancy is very low. Our overhead is low, all this good stuff. But guess what? The price did not reflect that. And I think there's something really frustrating about, you know, a butterfly in Korea that can chaos theory can like affect your <laughs> stock price. I'm kind of like a piglet walking around in a, in a rose garden right now. So a, uh, you know, your stock price is, there's so many things that are not related to the performance of the asset with a publicly traded REIT um, versus your rental property where guess what? If they pay rent on the first of the month, good news, your value just went up. You don't have to worry about these, you know, externalities that are just out of your control. It's straight direct performance. Um, you know, kind of related, these bigger companies, there's a lot of overhead with them. There's paying that CEO, that big salary. There's, you know, all the uh, Sarbanes-Oxley public company, yada, yada, yada. There's just a lot of costs that go into that. And by owning it directly, you strip all those costs and you put them in your back pocket. Uh, the last thing I'll say is in owning individually, uh, and you know, I can see this argument going either way. You also, all of the publicly traded REITs, they're basically a very similar um, composition. They all have pretty much the same leverage at like roughly 50%. At least these are the single family REITs. They all have pretty much the same footprint of like the, the same cities. So in buying individually, it's like using, you know, a shotgun versus a, excuse me, a sniper versus a shotgun, kind of a violent uh, comparison. But anyways, it's, it's being very direct with what are the markets that you believe in. And you can be way more targeted uh, in that process. And, and honestly, like, you know, like I said, it, it, it can be a little bit more time on the upfront, uh, but it's really rewarding down the line in that you set up these systems and the mailbox money is real and you're paid directly on the performance of the asset. Uh, versus this, you know, investing indirectly in these in these public REITs. So, all right, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Michael. Tom, I think it's so comical that you think that you'll have access to better analysis tools than professional REIT advisors. That That's why Roofstock was invented, Michael. That's why Roofstock was invented. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, bringing Wall Street to Main Street. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> You know what? The, if you said that five years ago, I'd say you're right. That is comical of me to say, but it's different now, Michael. It's different the, now. The, the, the times have changed. I know, I know. Seriously, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm sticking to my guns for round two here, and then, and then we'll circle back and, and convene. So I think that the analysis tools that uh, these investors have, professional investors have, far outweigh that of the individual investor. What you and me can Google and have access to, there's just no way we can compete. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, you know, I don't want to be worrying about my neighbor not mowing their lawn or keeping trash on their lawn, which is now going to drag the value of my property down versus the stock market. When the stocks go up, man, we are sky's the limit, man. We are screaming up there. So, you know, the individual ownership, it just you're subject to what your neighbors are doing. And I think that that's too impactful versus the aggregate of being spread across multiple markets and numerous properties. You can spread that risk out. You can peanut butter spread that risk out across multiple properties. Um, so I just think it's kind of a no brainer. You know, I don't want a second job. You mentioned it so nicely in the first round. I, I want that mailbox money and there's no way that 
going through the process of getting a mortgage, finding a property manager, checking in on the property manager, possibly having to change the property manager like Emil's in the process of doing, getting insurance quotes that, that you're running through right now, filing tax returns with the CPA, making checking on those tax returns with the CPA. Um, it's just, it's craziness. It's madness. You know, what, what kind of world do we live in where someone thinks they have time for that? I'm, I'm, I'm REITs all the way, man. <laughs> all right. That's all not right, true. All right, <laughs> <laughs> Ending with a lie, Michael. Great way to end your argument. Only for the purposes of this, uh, this show. But for, yeah. the, for the show, for the debate, no, absolutely. So, all right. You're, you're done. You guys are done. I'm cutting yeah. you both off. You guys can't see anymore. Your ears are swollen. Um, nice job, guys. There was a couple things I wrote down that I wanted to touch on that um, for each side. I'll start with REITs. Uh, I don't think anyone mentioned that there's less money to get started. So with a REIT, you can mm. go invest like a thousand or a couple, you know, if you don't have the money to, to put a down payment on a single family home, a REIT could be a good way to get some real estate exposure for much, much cheaper. So that was, that was going to be my knockout blow, but you called it too quickly. Tom was already down for now. <laughs> well, I, I want to hop in the ring too. The refs putting on gloves. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and then REITs, um, I think you guys kind of touched on it, but you have professional management. Like these people, they manage thousands, tens of thousands mm. of homes. They know what they're doing. They have the scale to just have the most efficient, awesome processes to like to know this stuff. So I'd I'd say that they're they're very professional. Uh, versus when you go uh, direct, you're dealing with a property manager who maybe only has a hundred, or you're self managing and and dealing with that nightmare. Uh, going back to the direct side. Uh, doing a cash out refi, you can't. So let's say your property value goes up, your interest interest rates go down. You can actually pull some of the equity out in that home. You still own the property. You're still making a profit each month, but now you just maybe got your original down payment back by doing a cash out refi, and you can go reinvest that elsewhere. Emil, I think property. you might have won this. I'm, these points you're making are are really uh, really good. So sorry, continue. Just uh, just tapping you on the back right well, now. Thank, I, thank you, Tom. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and then the last one is, is building equity. So with direct, you, you get equity in a home, right? So yes, you guys mentioned the leverage benefit, right? You can buy $120,000 worth of home for 25K or whatever it may be. But then also you have a tenant. So you're making cash flow each month, hopefully, making profit each month. And then you're, you're also having your tenant pay your mortgage and you're building equity in this home. Versus with a REIT, you don't get that. You kind of, you, you put your money in and it's paying you a dividend out or whatever it is each month or quarter or whatever it is. So, um, otherwise you guys nailed everything else. So that was I got it. a fun question that came in. Uh, All right. Take it. what do you get? What do you guys think about tiny houses? And, uh, I, I love me a tiny house. I, um, so <laughs> a, a great strategy that, that some investors use now, this isn't a remote strategy, but a great strategy some investors use to get going is this strategy called house hacking. And that is where you buy a property and you live in it and either in the other room or the other unit or the other little tiny house, you make that a rental. So it's a way that you are you know, starting, you are owning property, but you're also collecting that rent to either offset your mortgage or just have a little you know, extra cash on the side. So the tiny house is a, a, a great you know, way to, to start generating some income. I think it should be done through the same financial rigor that you would do in evaluating buying like a different property. So looking at what those costs are and what kind of rents you would get um, and, you know, establishing, okay, what is that cash on cash or what is that 
cap rate or IRR. There's there's a ton of different metrics that people use. And I mentioned we 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 all really like cash on cash as a metric. I think IRR is fantastic too, just thinking about total return. So uh, to final my make my final point on the tiny houses. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that 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 strategy can make sense, especially if you don't maybe don't feel comfortable and want to be right on top of your uh, investment. I think the downside is, you know, if there's whatever broken toilet, whatever that that person is right there. One of the things I love about remote investing is I have professional property manager where there's anything wrong going on. I'm not answering phone calls, they're managing it, you know, I, I pay them a percentage of the rent they collect every month, but I'm okay paying for them that because they're making it like a very passive investment for me. I, I love this question too, and it's so timely. I'm actually in the midst of uh, looking at a couple deals to set up tiny homes on the property. So Bay Area, California is really expensive. That's where my wife and I are looking to move. And so we're looking at property and looking at what the zoning requirements are for placing some of these tiny homes. And it's interesting because you can put them on a foundation and make them permanent. You can put them on a trailer, make them non-permanent, Airbnb, long-term rental. There's all kinds of regulations around how you have to do this. But I think that there are absolutely ways to go about doing it and make a significant profit. There are multiple different styles of tiny homes too. I've, we just came across a company that's up in the Bay Area that makes them out of containers. They're container homes. So those are pretty cool. There's modular homes, there's stick-built ADUs. So there's all different ways to slice that pie. Uh, but Tom, I think you hit the nail on the head that you still want to evaluate it and see if it makes sense as a financial investment. And then also I would be looking at what the property value might jump to after the fact. A lot of people like having yeah. a granny unit or additional ADU or, or whatever you want to call it. That could add some tremendous value to the property. So then combining a couple of these different strategies, you go put in an ADU. Now you go get a refinance. The property is worth more. You can take some cash out. It's kind of a combination of a burr house hack uh, in, in two. There's a ton of tailwinds for tiny homes too. Just, uh, I think local areas are getting more friendly, like in wanting it to be a little bit more dense. And then also with the pandemic, like having like an extra little office or something is, you know, quite a premium of, um, you know, having, having that, I feel like it, it's probably, you know, and this is a little bit subjective and me commenting on this, but I feel like they it has greatly increased the value. I, I just had an au, an au pair living with me. Her term just ended in like, wow, that would have been really nice to have a little extra little unit instead of just like right in, right in the grill of the house. But anyways, it was a good experience au pair, but it would have been nice with a uh, little in-law or whatever. Granny unit, tiny home, that, all that. That's that's a great <laughs> plug for au pairs too. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, it was great. It was great. Yeah. I just saw, so funny, this question came up. I just fell into a, a YouTube black hole and it was this guy who, I don't know if he builds them, buys them, whatever, but he has tiny homes across the country. He manages them all himself remotely. He has 10 across the country, Airbnbs them, so all short-term rentals, and he's making like 2K a month on each one. Like mm. just, and he has 10 of them, he quit his job, like, he has he he manages himself so he gets like a cleaning crew and uh, a local handyman a contractor and he just has all these tiny homes across the country that was pretty cool i just thought of a business idea so you <laughs> own 10 high tiny homes across the country no, right. you find someone who has like a big enough of a lot right and then you you do like a lease on the lot for like 30 years you do it for free but then they get the building after that time period right you, you follow me so you you so you you have whatever the 30 years of income you're generating there there's got to be some clause in there at the tra property trans you know transfers but i i the tiny home empire the tiny home leasing 
whatever the like you know whatever how many square feet of land i don't know i think there's some uh there's some there's definitely there. something there's definitely something there yeah. yeah there's definitely something there we'll have to do another episode about that the remote real estate <laughs> investor tiny home empire tiny <laughs> home corner lot empire um, so I think we should also touch base, Tom, on kind of our personal thoughts about the battle and personal views and opinions. So you mentioned, yep. you know, en- ending with a lie for me, which is <laughs> you totally caught me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am a big, big, big proponent of invest of direct ownership. Everything I do for the most part is direct ownership. I don't think I own, I might own a couple shares of a couple different REITs, but it's a very, very small percentage of my portfolio. I just think that I think you mentioned it really nicely. The tailwinds of direct ownership are so massive when directly compared to indirect ownership in a REIT that for me, it becomes a no-brainer. If you have the time, if you have the will, if you have the desire to learn the real estate investing business, I think that there's no better way to do it than in direct ownership. You might start out in a REIT and try to understand what's going on. But to be honest, from my experience, and Tom, you'll know better than me, but you're not, um, the, the REIT folks, the people who are involved in the REIT are not ha- holding the hands of their investors, showing them financial statements, profit and loss reports, vacancy reports, uh, understa- helping them understand how the businesses run. Is that fair to say? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's there's good and bad ones just like any other business. But I, you know, I guess to kind of continue on to it, it's like, I, you know, it's kind of like, like it's a, I think of it as like a little bit of a hobby as well, you know, of, of, of doing this type of remote investing. And there's a good quote out there, you know, everyone should have three hobbies, one that makes them happy, one that makes them health healthy and one that makes them rich. And like this very much fits in that kind of latter category of, of hobbies to have. And it, you know, like, I said, like, like we've talked about, there's a little bit of work that you do up front, And then sometimes as things come up, either you're selling or, or whatnot. Um, but it's, it, it's honestly like, a, I, 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 it's really enjoyable. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's fun. Yeah. Real estate investing kind of covers two of them for me personally, like the, the happy in the wealthy, yeah. which is nice. Uh, and, until, you know, you have a pipe burst and you're like, this is the, why did I do this? What, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> but then you have enough of those where it's just like, you know, it's a home. You, it, things break, you fix them, you move on. It's all good. So, yep. uh, the first couple though hurt, they hurt a lot. Well, it's one of those things that unless you know what to expect, it, it sucks even more. So if you go into this eyes wide open, we talk about in in the academy all the time, it's so important to go get educated. Where you do that doesn't really matter, but just make sure that you go get educated by people that understand what they're talking about. So you go into this investment eyes wide open, because the last thing that I want to hear, and I I hate hearing about it, is somebody buying a single family home thinking it's like a REIT, thinking that their experience is going to be like that of a REIT, especially with a lot of these turnkey providers. Oh, it's so easy. There's still stuff that has to get done. So again, go get educated, go ask questions, go learn about what's involved with owning and operating single family rentals or re- rental real estate for that matter, so that you're not su- surprised or you're less surprised rather, because again, you're going to be surprised if you're in this business long enough. I can promise you that. So you just want to understand what are the risks, what are the pros, what are the cons? Okay, great. Let's let's do it. I know there's going to be surprises. I know there's going to be speed bumps. I'm okay with that. You know, then Then direct ownership is probably for you. Totally a good point. Do we have Great. any other okay. questions that we want to tackle? Um, I'm not seeing any other questions. This is Norma Jean from the Finance Podcast Week team. Um, but we do have a giveaway. You guys are giving away one free enrollment for the Roofstock Academy. 
So I guess we'll ask a question um, to everyone listening here. We've been talking about um, owning yourself or um, being part of a REIT, so, which is an acronym. So uh, the first person who can tell us what REIT stands for, you will get this enrollment for Roofstock Academy. Here we go. Oh, oh here we go. PBG. PBG A. Oh, Ruru, you were like a second late. So <laughs> you, close, when they came in. Ruru, you were so close. Oh, all right. So what we'll do is we'll <laughs> pop our email here down in the chat. Um, I'll pop my email here, which is Norma Jean B at podbean.com. Um, PB, if you just want to send us a an email, I'll connect you to the team and make sure that you are connected here um, to get that enrollment, which is really cool. You guys have this amazing course as well um, to teach people how to invest in remote real estate. Fantastic. So our winner, if you want to email me here, I'll connect you with the team to make sure you get that prize. Um, absolutely. So thank you everyone for joining us for this live stream, special live episode of the Remote Real Estate Investor podcast with Michael, Tom, and Emil. This was really fun. And if you joined late or you have, uh, you want to have another listen to these amazing podcasts and experts, you can replay the session on the Finance Podcast Week's channel. Finance Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 500,000 podcasts. And as you're joining us for the session, you can see we also offer the ability to live stream directly from the app to your audience. And for everyone listening, you can start your own live stream for free on Podbean. The content of Finance Podcast Week is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on our site, live streams, and podcasts constitute a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Podbean or any third-party service providers to, to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Thank you so much to Michael, Emil, and Tom from the Roofstock team and the Remote Real Estate Investor Podcast for joining us. Tomorrow we have a full slate uh, of five panels coming up starting from 10 a.m. Eastern time, as well as five panels on Sunday starting a bit later on Sunday. So we'll see you all tomorrow. Thank you all for joining us for Finance Podcast Week. Happy investing. Thanks for having us. Happy Thanks investing, us. everybody. Thanks, guys.